For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. This is what we heard a few weeks ago this morning. Uh, we want to start there again. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Pastor Richard preached through that a few weeks ago. And in that verse, we see the gospel, the brief gospel unpacked there. Uh, it is a glorious gospel. And Peter summarizes that, and that becomes the grounding for what we are going to talk about this morning. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So, so Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the one who the entire creation was made through, came to earth in the form of a baby. And he was not born into royalty. He was not born into a comfortable life. Um, he was not exalted by human standards. He didn't even come into this world in a peaceful situation. He came into this world being hunted down by a king in the first two years of his life. He did not live an easy or prosperous life. He was the son of a carpenter, and he came into a suffering world, and he lived among us. He experienced sickness like us. He experienced pain and grief and betrayal and hunger. He experienced exhaustion and loss. And in every way possible, this God-man experienced the human existence. Though living a sinful life, he was hunted down by angry men. The Son of God then was arrested and beaten. He was tried and he was convicted. And he was sentenced to a bloody, gory execution on a Roman cross. A, a crown of thorns was pressed into his head. He was whipped and stripped naked. And he was forced to carry his own instrument of death until he could carry it no more. Then this all-powerful, all-loving king of the entire world was beaten and nailed to the cross. With a word, he could have stopped the entire thing. With, with the same word that created the world, he could have knocked all of his enemies to their knees. Instead, he willingly suffered. He was lifted up. And the wrath of God was placed on him. The wrath of God that we deserve for our sin was placed on him instead of us. Christ willingly suffered and died for your sins and for my sins. The righteous died for the unrighteous. And why? So he might bring us to God. Beloved, this horrible account of injustice and suffering and death is the greatest news in the entire world. We should never tire about hearing about the gospel. Christ has willingly suffered and died so that through his death, that sinners would be saved and the Father would be glorified. It is this gospel that grounds everything we do. This is the motivation for everything in our Christian life. And this is the purpose behind our love for Christ. He first loved us and showed it for us in this act. And he died for us. Therefore, we live for him. This, this grounds our passage in 1 Peter 4 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter 4. With this clearly in mind, from just a few verses prior, Peter goes on to explain the implication of this gospel in a way uh, that we should live the rest of our lives. As redeemed sinners, rescued from eternal punishment and waiting for the return of Christ, we are called to imitate our King. This is what Peter is calling us to in the first 11 verses of chapter 4 this morning. As redeemed sinners rescued from eternal punishment 
and waiting the return of, Christ, return of Christ, we are called to imitate our king. We are called to imitate him in this passage first with a Christ-like attitude. We are called to imitate him with a Christ-like attitude. Starting in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Peter exhorts us immediately in verse 1 to have a Christ-like attitude, to, to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ displayed. So just as we discussed, Christ has come, he has condescended to us, to our society, and he has suffered in the flesh so that we could be brought close to God. He has endured scorn and he has endured punishment that was undeserved so that we, the ones who are deserving of that wrath of God, might be spared and glorify the Father. He says, he says arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The, the, the phrase arm yourself here has a bit of a military connotation. We, we are called to uh, in a sense, to, to mount up, to, to, to strap on the same attitude that Jesus had. This is not something that's going to be easy or light or even fun at times. Uh, he is calling us to arm ourselves for something that will require grit and endurance and persever perseverance and patience. He tells us in verses 1 and 2 that the first aspect of this Christ-like attitude is to prepare for suffering. He tells us to prepare for suffering. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. All right, so, so Christ has suffered in the flesh, and therefore his, follower, his followers will suffer in the flesh. Uh, no, no, notice here, the, arm, the, the, uh, the command is for us to arm ourselves with Christ's way of thinking. So, so he is not commanding us to seek out suffering or run after suffering, but he's also not telling us that we should run from suffering. Uh, rather, he is calling us to prepare ourselves for suffering in the same, with the same mindset of Christ. There is, there is no prosperity gospel here. This is, this is not health and wealth. And there is no easy believism here where you're punching your ticket to heaven and the rest of your life is completely undisrupted by, by God's word. He is calling us to prepare for real, unavoidable suffering. Peter tells us that those who suffer in the flesh have ceased from sin. They, have, they, no longer, uh, they live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He is making a, a very real and logical connection here, right? So, so those who claim Christ, those, so those who have received Christ by faith, those who arm themselves with the same attitude of Christ, they live lives that are changed, that are different lives that are ceased from sin. Uh, this, as we see from the rest of Scripture, does not mean that we live 
in sinless perfection. We don't achieve sinless perfection. Uh, Far from it. However, it does necessarily result in a changed way of life. Arming yourself with a Christ-like attitude uh, is irrevocably linked to a progressively sanctified life, to becoming more and more like Christ. So as we arm ourselves with Christ's way of thinking and we pursue holiness, as Christians, we will suffer. Suffering in this context is not basic human suffering uh, that's associated with just a common human existence. Uh, This is true of every person that's walked the planet, not just Christians, right? We've, We've all been to funerals or we've all been to hospitals. There's always suffering associated with this world. And that is a result of the fall, right? It is a result of sin and the effects of the fall. Uh, but that's not what Peter has in view here. This is, this is different. This is explicitly suffering because you're a Christian. This is explicitly suffering for the name and sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, this is something that we often do not see here physically in the West. Um, I spent some time this week reading uh, some of the prayer requests on the Voice of the Martyrs website, and this this site does an excellent job of shedding light on the persecuted church uh, around the world. Just a sampling from the site this week revealed some some heart-wrenching stories. Uh, From India, an evangelist and his daughter were attacked recently by Hindu radicals in an area of Odisha where Christians are facing severe persecution. The evangelist, Kundir, was severely beaten, and his teenage daughter was sexually assaulted. The Voice of the Martyrs is helping pay medical expenses for Kandir, who was hospitalized with serious injuries. From an undisclosed location in the Middle East, a Christian brother and his family were in their home when they were attacked by Muslim radicals. This brother knows he and his family were targeted after some of his village discovered that they had become uh, Christians. Despite the, fa- the fact uh, Despite this fact, this family has continued to witness for Christ openly, and they have forgiven those who have attacked them and damaged their home. One of the children was injured in the attack. Praise the Lord for the courage and faithfulness of this family. Pray for healing for their injured child, and ask that the Lord continue to strengthen them as they obediently walk out the Great Commission in a village where they are surrounded by those who hate them. These stories could go on and on. Uh, these Christians are experiencing costly suffering for the sake of Christ. These, these brothers and sisters experience social pressure from without and, and often family pressure from within to abandon their faith. We, we grieve for them and we pray for them. They are suffering as Christ suffered. Um, just, just an aside, we are promoting uh, the Secret Church simulcast that will take place in April here. Uh, a part of the evening is devoted to equipping us uh, through the word in a particular area, but part of the evening is devoted to praying for the persecuted church, and there's always a, a, a people that is um, focused, a focus group for that evening. Uh, this year we're praying for the persecuted church in India. Uh, I encourage you to join us. The evening is, uh, is a great time of fellowship and encouragement and learning, but a great time of prayer uh, for those experiencing this type of persecution. That These this is what Peter is talking about in this passage. Um, but suffering is not necessarily something that's life or death situation here, right? We, we see later on in this passage a level of suffering that could be somewhat um, maybe more relevant to w- something that we'll experience. We see Peter talking later about Christians maligned and reviled because they would not participate in the uh, pagan sinful lifestyle that surrounded them. 
friends, this should hit home to all of us, right? We're swimming in a culture that uh, is not like us, that should not be like us. We're swimming in a culture of sin. You do not have to go out of your way to look weird, right? You don't have to go out of your way to look different than those around you. Our speech should be different, right? It says uh, in Ephesians 5, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. The way we treat our bodies should be different, right? 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. We are called to bring different, to be different, and and this will bring about persecution. He says in verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. You are a social outcast. If you are claiming the name of Christ, if, if you are claiming to be a Christian, if you have been saved, if you are uh, following Jesus, suffering is a non-negotiable. You are going to suffer on some level for the name of Christ. For some, it might be on a grand scale, right? We see the ISIS sword uh, in the videos. But, but for, for most of us, this will be on a lesser scale, willing Uh, But we need to be arming ourselves with a Christ-like attitude, willing to be scorned by family and friends because we live a different way. The point here is to arm ourselves with this attitude, willing to sacrifice everything for our king. Uh, If we are truly redeemed, we stand with our suffering Savior, knowing that like Christ, we too will be raised with him on the last day. So one way we arm ourselves uh, with a Christ-like attitude is to prepare for suffering. The second way we arm ourselves uh, in this passage is interrelated. We abstain from sin. We abstain from sin. Verse 3, For the time is past that suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. All right, so when he says the time is past that suffices for doing what the Gentiles uh, want to do, that's his nice way of saying, hey, all right, enough is enough. You have wasted your life so far pursuing your own lusts, pursuing your own flesh, pursuing your, your own wants and desires, but you are different now. Stop. You aren't the same anymore. Uh, and, he is explicit, and he is explicit in what he is calling them to abstain from here. Uh, He says, stop living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So so Peter here is a good Baptist, right? This is is a vice list uh, that we we should abstain from. You, um, You... see him calling out drinking parties and drunkenness and orgies, and, and, and we say, okay, I, I got it. I'm, I'm not participating in those. Uh, but then lawless idolatry, sensuality. We can, we can violate those things by turning on the TV or our tablet for 15 minutes, right? Both of those things could, could easily seep into our lives. We, we cannot overlook a passage like this without examining ourselves. We are called to be different. We are called to be holy as Christ is holy. We do not participate in sinful actions, just mindlessly blending into the culture that's around us. It is not legalism to abstain from sinful activity. It is not legalism to call it out. It is called obedience. He has given you proper motivation, right? 1 Peter 3.18, Christ has died for you, the righteous for the unrighteous. So, therefore, the time has passed 
for us to continue to wallow in sin. If we are Christians, we are called to obedience. He goes on in verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. All right, so we we already talked about how we will be maligned simply for not participating in the flood of debauchery around us. Um, but that's but that's not the last word, right? We we might be reviled, we might be shunned, we might be disliked, we might be disassociated from friends and family because we are unwilling to participate in these things. There is coming a day when Jesus will return, and He will judge the living and the dead. We, you know, we sing about every sinful thought, every evil deed, right? These will be accounted for. There is no one who escapes this judgment. We, we all must give an account. He said, this is why the gospel was preached to those who are dead. So, so by this, he means that the promises of God were preached to men and women, and those men and women who, during their lives, trusted in the Lord by faith, they are now living with him in the Spirit. The gospel was preached to them so that even though they are guilty of their sin, Christ has paid the penalty for their sin, and now they are alive in Christ, living with him for eternity. This, is, this is, uh, should be a straightforward passage that can be twisted to say that after you die, there's a second chance, or there's a gospel preached to those who are dead. This is gospel preached to people who are alive. You are given, uh, you are given truth, and, uh, and if you are embracing that truth by faith, if you are repenting of your sin and trusting in God's promise, Through Christ, you will be saved. And this is who he is talking about. The world is caught up in their flood of debauchery, in in their passion for sinful activity, and we are called for something better. We are called to abstain from sin because we have been bought by the one who loves our soul. Like, Like the rest of humanity, we will be judged, right? And on that day, those who are in Christ will have someone standing in their place for them giving them a righteousness that is not their own. It is because of this that we follow him in obedience. We, are, we, we arm ourselves with, with the same way of thinking as Christ, preparing for suffering and abstaining from sin. As redeemed sinners, rescued from the eternal punishment and awaiting the return of Christ, we are called to imitate our king. All right, so we saw in the first six verses uh, this as a call toward a Christ-like attitude. Now, in verses 7 through 11, we see uh, a call to Christ-like actions. A call to Christ-like actions. Read along in uh, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnest, uh, earnestly, Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.
All right, so Peter shifts a little bit here, right? Whereas in the first paragraph, he is pointing back to the past work of Christ, to his atoning death, to his saving work on the cross. Here, he is pointing toward a future work of Christ in the world, to the end of all things. The end of all things is at hand. All right, so immediately in my mind, I hear that phrase, and alarm bells start going off. Uh, I think about the guy at the end of the movie Armageddon or Independence Day holding up a sign proclaiming the end of the world. Uh, we think of some of the crazies who's, who've actually tried to predict the time and date of the end of the world. I think it was supposed to be December 21st, 2012, uh, and, and, and we're still here. Um, either way, this phrase has been used and abused by those who have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and that's okay. We know that there are always going to be people who focus on the wrong things or who lose their collective minds. Uh, that doesn't detract from the biblical truth that Peter is laying out here. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. This is huge. Christ has redeemed a people for himself, and he will come back to judge the living and the dead. And those who are in Christ will be with him forever. The end is coming soon. The end is at hand. Therefore, what? Do, do we obsess over the end times? Do, do we create prophecy charts and try and decipher the book of Revelation through the morning newspaper? Uh, no. The end of that, of, uh, no, he says the end is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. This is critical. Whenever the scriptures talk about the end times, it is uh, done not so we can get a secret revelation or some insight into future uh, news events. It is always, always, always done as an encouragement for believers to persevere. We are to persevere in what God has commanded us to do. We are, we are to live out our lives faithfully for him, remembering that we have a future inheritance that will not perish. Martin Luther was famously asked what he would do if the end of the world would come today. And, and thinking that he would respond with something extravagant or something really pious, maybe, um, he responded that he would plant a tree and pay his taxes. That sounds terrible to me. That's two activities I would hate doing, especially the taxes. But his point was this. We do not know the time or day that the Lord will come. It could come at any time. And we do know that there is a promise of future glorification for those who are united to Christ. And for those that are, we are called to live sacrificial, holy lives that involve normal, everyday activities, planting trees, paying taxes. We are, we are called to live uh, in a way that glorifies Christ. When we come to a passage of Scripture pointing us to the, to the eschaton, to the, to the end of all things, it is done to encourage us to persevere in this life, knowing that we are secure in the next life. Tracy and I uh, have been seeing a billboard on US 10 that is promoting um, a prophecy conference locally here. Um, and, and, and a quick Google search showed us a couple things, uh, a couple of problems. First of all, um, it's, it's put on by the Seventh-day Adventist group. So it, it's not even grounded in the same gospel truth that we're talking about. But, but the second problem is it's focused on predicting the future, uh, on unlocking some secret revelation and, and unlocking of how the United States will play a role in this. Uh, fr friends, this is, this is not what Peter's talking about here. 
or, or, or Jesus elsewhere when he talks about the end. If we're caught up in trying to detail out future events, if we're caught up in trying to, to, to read our Bibles in light, of, in light of the news, we miss the point. The end is coming. The end is at hand. Jesus will judge. The end will come. These are all true events. So be faithful, right? Live holy lives. Share the gospel with friends and loved ones before it is too late. Do what God has put us on earth here to do. Uh, consider what Paul says in Romans 13. Besides this, you know, that, uh, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daylight, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Our time for salvation is nearer now than it was before. The end is at hand. The end is near. The Lord will return. Jesus will judge. Therefore, we are called to Christ-like actions. First action we're called to here is prayer. We are called to pray. Verse 7, the end is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. All right, so notice what he is calling us to here. Whereas previously he detailed a list of vices that we are to avoid, drunkenness and orgies and lawless idolatry, here, here he's calling us to the exact opposite, right? He is calling us to self-control and sober-mindedness. We are called to live holy lives for the sake of our prayers. We saw this back in 1 Peter 3, right? Um, when, I, when I was up here talking through that passage, we saw that husbands are called to holiness so their prayers are not hindered. Likewise, we are here, uh, we here are called to holiness for the sake of our prayers. The Christian life is a life that should be marked by prayer. This was certainly true um, of Jesus. This is something that marked his life. And, and, and the chief exercise of our faith is prayer. Christians pray. This, is, this has been a big point of emphasis here at Crossway over the last six months. Um, if you're in our community groups, we've done... A, uh, a study on praying through the Bible. Um, back in January, Pastor John preached in our pillar series on corporate prayer, uh, coming together as God's people and repenting and praising and petitioning God together. Uh, Peter is clear. The Christian life is a life of prayer. We are marked by prayer. And we see in verses 8 and 9, Christ-like actions are also marked by love. They're marked by love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is the many, one of the many uh, one another commands that we see sprinkled throughout the whole New Testament. We are called by God's, as God's people to love one another. With the end at hand, we are called by Christ to live in love and unity with one another. And what does this love do? He says it covers a multitude of sins. It covers over a multitude of sins. Now, this does not mean that we gloss over and cover up sin because we love one another. That, that, that is not what he is calling us to here. What, what Peter has in view here is that we overlook offenses against us with an attitude of forgiveness. Consider a similar passage in Proverbs 10. 
There it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. As uh, we live together as God's people, uh, marked by our love for one another, um, this, should be, um, this should be a mark of our church. One way this, this manifests itself is in how we get along. Are we stirring up strife? Are we causing problems? Are we looking to nitpick each other or be at each other's throats? Now, this, is, this has been, uh, thankfully, not at all um, something that we've struggled with on the pastor search team, but one of our prayers is that we, we pursue this in unity and in love, that we are uh, kind with one another, that we are forgiving, quick to forgive one another, that we uh, do not take offense. We, we, I've seen this sin in churches in the past, and, and it's ugly, right? Uh, rather than, than being uh, an angry church member looking to grumble and complain, we are uh, to be actively trying to encourage one another, to love one another. Are, are you quick to take offense, or do you love each other instead, bearing with one another? Peter is calling us to this type of Christ-like action as God's people. We are to pray, we are to love, and finally in verses 10 through 11, we are called to minister. We are called to minister. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is clear in this passage. We are to be stewards of the gifts that God has given us. We have been built up into the body of Christ, each of us with our own function. We are to speak God's word in love to one another. We are to serve one another in love. We are to be about the business of doing ministry as Crossway Christian Church, as individuals and collectively. All right, so let's, let's drill down into this for a minute. What does speaking God's word look like here at Crossway? Well, uh, first of all... Um, We've been talking about doing word ministry here for a long time. Do, do we mean formal preaching and teaching time? Well, that, that is certainly included, and that is uh, primarily what Peter has in view here, but it is not limited to that. We have been continually coming back to our discipleship model, right? You might get sick of hearing us talk about it all the time, but bringing people to the right from completely un. Um, unsaved, uh, far from God, to a full uh, disciple of Christ and everything in between, using God's word to bring people to the right. This includes one-on-one -on -one discipleship, studying the word together for either evangelism or encouragement or equipping. God's word prayerfully read and studied among God's people is how God works in hearts and minds. The word does the work. We are called to be ministering to one another with God's word. In this passage, we're also called to serve one another. How does this look at Crossway Christian Church? How does it look like here? This should be easy to identify right now, right? We, we've been talking a lot lately about opportunities here. So there's, there's a need uh, for Sunday school teachers. There's a need for help in the nursery, for cleaning the church, for uh, soon to be mowing the grass uh, because the snow is gone, thankfully. Um, there is going to be Banger Downs uh, Bible Club every Saturday, every first Saturday of the month. There's going to be Rock the Block again, uh, where we will serve the same, uh, the same group there. It's easy to get involved here, 
uh, if you're looking for opportunities, I'm really encouraged by those who have, uh, who, who, who serve here. It is, it is a very encouraging thing to do. Um, that's one way, but beyond that, we are to be involved in the lives of one another, like serving one another uh, when the needs arise. This is one of the reasons that we uh, have um, divided ourselves up into community groups here. This is one of the primary functions there. We want to be interconnected in community. We, we want to be so interconnected in community that when a need arises, it's known because we are involved in the lives of those people, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. We are to be serving one another as a natural outflow of our love for one another. So if you're not involved in a community group, I would encourage you, please see myself or Pastor Richard after the service or sometime this week, and we would love to get you connected. Finally, we see in verse 11 that is, this is all done so that we can not pat ourselves on the back or build uh, a big empire of ministry here. This is all done for the glory of God. He is the one that we are pointing to in everything we do. In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have talked a lot uh, in the past at Crossway about missions. Uh, many of us have been around the world sharing the gospel uh, to various people in various contexts. I, I know many of you been, have been actively involved in going to Africa or Canada or the Philippines, or India, or uh, a number of other places. As Christians, we're called to be actively ministering to those um, who need to hear the good news of Jesus, whether they are across the street or across the world. Uh, recently, I received a letter from a close family friend. She's a 20-year-old sophomore in college. Um, she was describing in the letter what the Lord is doing in her life right now, and she is being led to go and minister this summer with a team in a country that is very hostile to the gospel. Their primary purpose for this, for this trip is to evangelize college-age students, evangelize people that are in the same stage of life that they are because uh, they need to hear the good news. In her letter, she asked for prayer to, quote, she asked for prayer for, quote, courage to evangelize, for open hearts of the students to receive God's love, and for the team to not hold back from speaking to students. She went on to say that, I have been reminded over this past year that God's love is not something that we should be selfishly keeping to ourselves, but it should be shared. This is, uh, there is not one person who should not be denied hearing the gospel. 20 years old and still a kid in, uh, in my mind, and she has more courage uh, going to this country than uh, most people I know. Th th this is exactly what Peter is calling us to this morning. The end is near. We are called to live with Christ-like attitudes, being prepared to suffer for the sake of Christ. We are called to live with Christ-like actions, living holy lives of loving, prayerful ministry. As redeemed sinners, rescued from eternal punishment and awaiting the return of Christ, we are called to imitate our King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Jesus and what he has done for us. Lord, we could not do this for ourselves, and uh, certainly, Lord, we are humbled and we are thankful for, uh, 
or being called your people. Lord, I pray that we, um, we take your word to heart, that we do live with a Christ-like attitude, with a Christ-like actions uh, marking our lives. Lord, I pray that as we go forward into our week this week, this would be on our hearts and minds, that we would be changed uh, by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.